Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I connected with Alan White for this week's episode. Alan led his first online small group on CompuServe in 1994 over a dial-up modem. He has coached over 1,500 churches on all types of small groups. Alan is the author of four books, including the recently released Leading Online Small Groups, Embracing the Church's Digital Future. He's led workshops for the Purpose Driven Church Conference at Saddleback Church, Willow Creek, Canada, and the upcoming Success with Groups Online Conference with the Dave Ramsey Group. Now, on today's episode, Alan and I talk about effective ministry with online small groups. Alan shares a variety of practical ideas to help your church launch or further develop your online ministry through small groups. We discuss the differences between an in-person small group and an online small group, and Alan provides guidance on platforms you can use and leadership models to consider. These are great insights, so please join me in my conversation with Alan White. Alan, welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's so great to have you with us today. Hey, thanks for having me back. Hey, brother, you've ministered in the small group space for decades now. What is it about small groups that keeps your focus after all these years? You know, that's a good question. And, and you make me sound really, really, really old by, <laughs> by saying it that way. But, you know, I, I think what's interesting to me is that, you know, having been part of, you know, churches of different sizes, the last few churches that we've been a part of have been very large. You know, there is that place where, um, you know, like it tells us in the book of Acts, they gathered in temple courts and they gathered house to house. And so there's that place where you can go and have outstanding worship, have ex- outstanding teaching, but there's that place you need to go where, you know, everybody knows your name and uh, where they know you, they can help you grow, they can help you uh, become what God's called you to be. Um, you know, in the Great Commission, Jesus talks about teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so where do we try that on? Where do we try something new, get the encouragement, the support, the accountability? So that's why I'm a big believer in small groups. Yeah, that's that, that's so, so well said, Alan. And we are living, uh, it's no surprise to anyone, this is, you know, 2020, and 2020 has been pretty wild. And um, lots of churches are wrestling through how to be the church in in these, these days, right? Um, lots of churches are unable to meet in person, or even those who are able to open their doors, you know, there's hesitation from people walking through those doors. And so one of the real challenges for the church has been, how do we continue to live on mission? How do we minister to the people God has already entrusted to us? And how do we continue to build bridges to new people? Um, one of the things, Alan, that, that you suggest is that online small groups are are not the same thing as simply putting what we think of as a traditional in-person group, just tossing it up online. So Alan, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what is the difference between an online group and an in-person group? Yeah. And it's an important distinction because an online group, you know, I mean, like you said, is not simply just putting everybody in front of a camera. It's a different dynamic. And, and I will admit that, um, 
it, it misses something of you don't have the chemistry of people being together. You don't have those sidebar conversations of people whispering to each other, checking in on how they're doing. And you certainly don't have the, the brownies in the kitchen afterwards. <laughs> um, but I think that the, the some advantages to online small groups, you could definitely say that you're not limited by any kind of uh, geograph- geographical boundaries, that you can invite people from anywhere. And, you know, what we're seeing is that people who – people who are far from God, people who are far from you, um, but given the invitation can, can meet. And of course, the, the best thing about online small groups is the, the meetings are shorter because you don't have the chit chat at the beginning. You don't have, you know, the refreshments at the end. So you can just kind of get into the meeting, which means the groups can start later. They can be shorter in length. You kind of get a little more to the point and then you can be done and it's not, you know, too late in the evening. Right. So with this, um, it, there's maybe a little more focus. Um, and like you said, that, that focus can be helpful um, because it, it gets everyone kind of geared in, focused on whatever the topic is, where the discussion is, the conversation is. And yet, as you mentioned, there's a little bit of, of loss when it comes to kind of just the relational aspect of a small group. How can uh, small groups that are online kind of embrace or even stoke that, you know, small, you know, relational aspect? Have you seen different ways that they've been able to do that? Yeah, I I think that, you know, it goes with any group, but especially online groups, is that the more relationship you have in the groups as you begin, um, the better off the group's going to be, even in forming the groups. The other thing is there's kind of a principle in small groups in general that what happens outside of the group greatly impacts what happens inside of the group. So saying if people are connecting outside of the group. And and so whether they can connect in person or whether they're texting each other, or there's just this continual conversation that's going on, that building those relationships will greatly determine, you know, what happens on online. And so you can imagine the difference between if you were online with, you know, some close friends you hadn't seen in a while versus if you were online with people that you'd never met before. It's a very different dynamic. And so as you build those relationships, and again, this is true of in-person groups, that um, people will be more open to share. I think the other thing, too, is that the leader, in a large part, sets the tone for the group. There's a saying that's been around for years that speed of the leader, speed of the team. And so if the leader is open, is relaxed, is sharing from their heart and kind of sets the tone for kind of the depth of the group and the the, the nature of the group, then I think... Um, you're going to have a better go at it. If, if the leader is just going through the questions and feels uncomfortable and looks uncomfortable, then everybody in that group is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. So Alan, talk to us a little bit, like what are um, th- those elements that really make for an effective small group? Yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of it is it's openness, openness and honesty. It's, um, you know, I mean, any small group discussion, you know, we don't want to hit where the rubber meets the air. We want to hit where the rubber meets the road. And so even starting out, I, I lead coaching groups for pastors. And usually I'm an Enneagram 8, so usually we dive in and we're right to the topic and, you know, all of that. But this year has been different even for an Enneagram 8 in that um, we started off the meeting checking in to see how people were doing. And we had groups that were in or churches that were in various parts of the country on these calls. And so different waves at different times starting in Washington state and Nebraska wasn't worried about it. And then Nebraska's worried about it. And, you know, 
Um, and so we would just take a little bit of time at the beginning just to process everything that's going on. Because one, one of the things um, that has happened, you know, in the pandemic has been the church has put it, been putting out a ridiculous amount of content. And I don't say ridiculous in a negative way. But I think at one point, Phil Cook said the church was producing more media than Hollywood was. Wow. And so, you know, you have all of this content that's going out there. But in addition to content, and I'm not downplaying content. God gave us a book. God gave us a brain. You know, that goes together. But in addition to that, we need community and we need conversation. And people are just, there's so much upheaval going on in the U.S. right now. And there are so many mixed messages. I mean, you don't know from various news media outlets, you can watch a variety of them and pray that, you know, God will somehow help you to discern what actually is the truth. Um, because it's, it's hard to know what's true. And then you get on the internet and, you know, it's like the Wild West with all of these conspiracy <laughs> theories and everything else. So people have all of this. They're at home. Maybe they're working at home. Maybe their kids are doing school at home. Um, they need a place just to have conversation. So I think in this time, especially to be able to allow some sort of an outlet, check in with people, see how they're doing. You're still going to have a purpose for the meeting. You're still going to have a Bible study. Um, you're still going to lead to, you know, how do I live this out? Because um, to me, if you have a Bible study without getting to that point of how do I live this out, I, I really have to ask what's what's the point? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, again, allowing that relational component, allowing that conversation, a place to process things, taking people back to the truth of God's word, and then challenging, you know, people to take on an assignment or set a goal for themselves, and then report back to the group, you know, how it went. Yeah, that's good. Now, now, Alan, um, you've talked about different types of, of groups, and you've written, you know, over the years about different types of groups. So can you talk to us a little bit about, we're looking at the online space. Mm -hmm. um, what are some different types of groups that um, you've, you know, churches that you're coaching and talking with that you've seen them using effectively for ministry? Yeah, when people talk about groups, they, online groups, they immediately go to Zoom. And, um, you know, and it's been very good for the Zoom Corporation, but uh, that's not the only way even to do video-based groups. I mean, there's, you know, so many other platforms and I won't start listing them. I, I, you know, searched to see different platforms one day and I came up with about 20 I'd never heard of before. Wow, right. But there are, so there obviously there are video-based groups. Um, we're getting into some issues of, of Zoom fatigue, which uh, we may go into later. Uh, but then there are people that are in areas that their internet service is not that great or they're not that tech savvy. And so we're seeing people do audio only groups. And so they're meeting on a conference call line and having a discussion. And then kind of the third category that I've seen are what I call asynchronous groups. And that's just a fancy way of saying that the groups don't meet together at the same time. And a lot of people scratch their heads and say, what in the world is an asynchronous group? Well, we use asynchronous groups all the time. If you're in a group text, um, if you're replying all to an email, if you use uh, Slack, if you use Facebook and you post something and somebody's replying to that, all of that is an asynchronous group. So we're actually living in an age where, you know, your Facebook friends could actually become your Facebook group and you could meet together. And then I'm also looking at some... Um, Digitally Interactive Curriculum is a company out of Atlanta called Rally, R-A-L-I, where you post video, you post questions, and then uh, people can interact with the video, they can interact with the questions, they can interact with each other. Um, and so there are various formats. Also looking at a lot of, a lot of apps like uh, WordGo that's out, 
Um, even looking at like the U version of people doing a reading plan together, that could be a form of, of an asynchronous group. So you don't have to be limited to video-based groups. I think that brings a certain component, but um, there is some variety uh, depending on people's needs and depending on people's abilities to engage. Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that up because as you're talking about a, you know, asynchronous groups, I was even thinking about you know, so many um, students are online right now. You know, I have mm -hmm. high schoolers and college students, uh, you know, children myself, and they have some classes that are synchronous. They have to be online together. You know, their teacher's there. Then they have other classes that are asynchronous. In other words, mm -hmm. they're logging in, they're doing their part, they're posting their comments, they're having discussion, and then other people are popping in. And, and so I think that's, that's fascinating because of, you know, everything that the world is going through, that there's... Um, kind of more openness to this idea of online community and engaging in things and learning together and growing together, even when we're not in the same room. Um, and I think that's important for, you know, the, the people within our church who may have already been somewhat um, exposed to the idea of a small group learning environment or, you know, growing environment. But Alan, what have you seen churches doing when it comes to reaching people who aren't already a part of the church with, with yeah. online groups. Well, and it can kind of come two ways. One is that uh, most churches are experiencing their people watching the services, participating in online worship services that have never darkened the door of the church. Right. And in some places that's by dozens, some, some places that's hundreds or, or thousands of people. And so I think there's a way to um, just in the online worship service to challenge people to say, here's an opportunity. And I know there are a lot of churches right now that um, their church staffs uh, don't quite have as much to do as they did before. <laughs> and so um, a lot of those groups are being led by the church staff. So you don't have to worry about vetting the leaders and all of that sort of thing. But I think the other way that it can come, and we've actually been seeing this with online groups and in-person groups for years, are people inviting people that they know. And um, again, it could be people that, they used to go to high school with, people they went to college with, people that live on the other side of the country or the other side of the world that they can invite. Because right now, again, there's so much confusion and people need, people need hope. People need to know that um, God still is in charge and they need to be brought back to the, you know, the solid rock. And I think that, you know, as people begin to listen to their friends and conversations online to say, hey, I'm in this group and it's a Bible study, but I was wondering if you might be part of it because I think you would, you would benefit from that. And so I could kind of see groups and churches growing both ways that the online service can grow the groups and the online groups can grow the worship service. So it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, Alan, do you suggest that churches, as they're looking at their small group ministry and they're thinking about online groups, do you suggest that they look at having some groups that are more kind of open and more catered to inviting your um, friends who aren't believers and then also having some groups that are maybe more kind of maybe deeper discipleship focused, you know, and if you do recommend that, um, what are some different ways to approach both of those types of groups? Yeah, I, I think the great thing about groups is that you have um, just unlimited diversity as far as what the groups can focus on and what the groups can study. And so I, I'm a big fan, a big advocate of having a, a group agreement. 
And so the group decides what they're going to focus on, what kind of group they're going to be. And uh, they may do different things in different seasons, um, depending on the particular need of the group. Uh, I think that all groups at different points, I mean, sometimes there are reasons to close the group because of you're walking, you know, alongside someone through a difficult time in their life, or you're wanting to, um, you know, you're going through a particular thing that you won't have to go back to stage one every time a new person comes in the group. I think there are those occasions, but I think it's healthy for a group to continue to invite new people. Um, just because you're going to have people that, you know, can't attend anymore for whatever reason. And if you're not continually inviting people, eventually the group just disappears. So I, I'm a big advocate of giving people permission and opportunity to gather the people that they know, to do the kinds of studies, to do the kinds of things in the group that they feel are appropriate with, you know, for the group. Now, it's not completely wide open. Uh, I think there's a place for input. I think there's a place for you know, some kind of a pathway of, of learning. So they're not all, you know, studying the same things all the time. But I think that, you know, again, there's, you know, if you have a hundred different groups and they're studying a hundred different things, or, you know, some of them are, are you know, more in depth, if you will, than others. I, I, have, a, I have a trouble with the word deep sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> and then others are more open. I think really it's up to the, the personality and the desires of the, of the group. And I think that certainly the, staff member, the small group pastor in charge of them can certainly guide them and say, hey, you guys have, haven't attracted a new member for a while. Could you, you know, begin to think about, pray about inviting somebody else to your group uh, or others? Maybe they're doing too many felt need studies and they need to do a book of the Bible, you know, or something like that. Right, right. Um, I think they can certainly have that kind of guidance. But I think, you know, depending on, you know, the people's gifts and depending on, you know, what their leading is and what the needs are in their group, I, I think that you can you can just again have just infinite diversity in groups. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. You mentioned Alan uh, about that um, group agreement, and mm-hmm. I know you're you um, have written a lot and coached a lot on this um, this idea of a group agreement. Can you talk to us a little bit, a little more detail about that? Because I'm sure that kind of probably piqued the interest of some of our listeners. Like, how what are elements that go into a group agreement, and you know, is this something that the leader of the group establishes or how do they involve other people in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the, the group agreement comes down from on high from the pastor. And uh, I think people would adhere to it. But I think what really helps with a group agreement is it's the group's agreement together. And so I think you can even take them through an exercise and talk about what is our group value, what's important to us as a group. And they would talk about things like, confidentiality. They would talk about commitment to the group. So if you you can't make the meeting, you're going to let somebody know, or you're going to make the group a priority. Uh, For an online group, you're going to make a commitment that there will be no other browser windows open and you will turn your cell phone off. Uh, So you can focus on the meeting uh, because I'm in meetings and you wonder where some of the people are in the meeting because they're not (laughs) in the meeting. They're, 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 you know, they're lost in a search somewhere, but I think, you know, all, how do you handle childcare? Um, where are you going to meet? How are you going to meet? I mean, even basic questions of what day of the week is the group going to meet? When is the group going to start? When is the group going to end? And, um, and to be able, and, and so I have an exercise, actually it's in my, I wrote a study guide a couple of years ago called community. And I think it's just on my site, alanlight.org. Um, I, I say that not go by the study. You can, if you want to, but there actually a chapter one is on how to build a group agreement <clears throat> and it's a free download. Uh, but you basically, you, you take all of the values of the group and not 
you know, dissimilar to a Mad Lib, you go in and you fill in the values in the group agreement. And then lo and behold, you have your group nice. agreement. And some people will treat it like these are our ground rules. Does everybody agree? Yes, we agree. And then others will print it out and sign it like it's the Declaration of Independence. It's, it just depends on the added. <laughs> but the, the good thing about having the group agreement is that if someone violates it, it's not the leader coming down on them. It's they're, they're at odds with something that they agreed to do. And not in a heavy-handed way, but right. in a reminder. Or if somebody new comes to the group, you just say, hey, just real quick, just wanted to, you know, uh, go briefly over the group agreement, just remind everybody of, you know, what this group is about. And then periodically, they need to reevaluate it, make sure it's working for them everywhere from the, the day and time that they're meeting to maybe certain things that they're requiring. Um, they just need to reevaluate it. But it does, the, the more personal it is to the group, the better. I mean, at a minimum, you know, there could be one that's in the study guide that they're doing. There could be one that the church asked them to look at. Uh, but it's really better if it comes from the group themselves. Right. That's interesting. As, as you're talking through that, I was thinking, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are probably members of some sort of Facebook group, right? And on Facebook groups, you have these, you know, kind of group rules, right? And, and typically, if it's a private group and you're asking to join, you've got to say, hey, I agree to these these rules. So it's kind of a, a you know, I mean, that was just kind of a, you know, comparison in my mind as you were talking, like, you know, we, we're becoming more and more familiar with these types of things, especially if we're involved in some sort of online community or online group. So that makes sense. And um, and a, probably a, a very important piece of helping people kind of even rally together and, and almost have that ownership uh, of the group, I think is what's kind of important, especially if you're kind of creating that agreement together. It kind of gives everyone kind of this um, a bit of ownership in, hey, this is who we are as a group, right? Right. And that way, again, if you have to come to a point where you have to sit down with a member and um, remind them of something, it's one thing to remind them. It's another thing of, you know, you're breaking the leader's rules and I'm kicking you out of my group. That's not a good place to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the things that you mentioned earlier I want to come back around to is you're talking about leaders in these online groups. And you mentioned mm-hmm. that, you know, with staff people, oftentimes there's there's some opportunity there. Um, but, but one of the things that, that you say is that you don't have enough bad things to say about limiting your online groups to handpick leaders. Um, so can you kind of elaborate on, on that? What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think the first thing is we get stuck on the word leader. And, um, and so, you know, leadership in the church, when you look at the pastoral epistles, it's a serious thing. It's serious business, and there are high requirements for it. But the question is, do you need elders and the people who fit the requirements for elders to lead small groups? And we've even gone back to ask the question of, do we need, do we need leaders in small groups? And what I mean by that is, you know, our, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make classes. He didn't say go and make small groups. He said go and make disciples. And so do we necessarily need a leader to make a disciple? And so what we know is that disciples make disciples. And so if there are ways that we can empower and equip people um, with somebody walking alongside them that has some experience that can supervise them and coach them um, along certain parameters, you know, we actually have the ability to kind of unleash you know, the potential of our church, allow people to gather with people that they already know. And the safety on this is you provide the curriculum 
And if it's a video-based curriculum, it's good to have your pastor on it or somebody that your pastor approves. So you provide the curriculum, you know, you determine what they study. You have somebody that is walking alongside them. That's getting to know the leader, building a relationship. And then lastly, you don't advertise these groups. You don't put them in your, on your website. You don't um, send people to those groups um, and people gather people that they already know. And so if they're people that you don't know very well, people that are not, you know, the core of your church, more than likely the relationships they have will be with people outside of the church. Hmm. And I've had groups where the entire group was outside of the church. The only person who attended our church was the leader. Now, granted, there'll be places in any size church where people will want to be in a group and they won't get invited. So how do you handle that? Well, then I think you have to have people that are known. And so whether it's church staff or whether it's longtime members, people that have you know, met all of the, the requirements for leadership in your church that you would feel good about sending them to the group. Because if you list a group somewhere, there is an expectation that uh, the church has kind of given an implied endorsement to that group. And uh, I've been in situations, I, I've actually led situations where you, th- you put people out there that are willing and uh, they don't know as much about the Bible. They're not as spiritually mature as some of the people that sign up for their group. And that's not a good experience for anybody. But if you take those people that are maybe less spiritually mature or less knowledgeable, and they invite people that they know, chances are the people that they know are about the same place that they are, or maybe even have less. And so um, I think by, you know, leveraging some of those relationships to get groups started, um, you do better with that. The bottom line is this, that I don't, this is a season where we are learning what it's like to serve in a decentralized way. And we can't depend on all of the systems and the programs and the staffing and the weekend service and all of the things that we used to depend upon um, for ministry. But, you know, the church never closed because the church is the body of Christ. Right. And so to be able to give the body of Christ the things that they need to gather their group, people that are, you know, willing and open um, and then give them some parameters and help them. Now, I used to talk about lowering the bar on leadership. I, I stopped talking about that. What I talk about now is delaying the requirements. So you get someone who's interested, that has friends, here's a Bible study, here's some help. They get that group together. And then as they continue on, then you begin to introduce some of those requirements back in. And, you know, you don't make it mandatory. You invite them to that. And you want to, you know, get them to the place where they're quote unquote official. But, you know, this really goes to what Paul said to Timothy. He said, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. And it, it really has to do with having people prove themselves. Because I've, I've recruited people, boy, that I thought they, they looked like a leader. They walked like a leader. They talked like a leader. I put them through the training and then they didn't want to lead. And I thought, mm-hmm. what a frustrating thing. And so instead of doing that, I just give people a bit of a trial run to see how it goes. And again, keeping it safe, uh, keeping it supervised and not advertising it. And it's really amazing to see um, what comes out of that. I was working with a church this last year in Minot, North Dakota, and they had 60 groups prior to the pandemic. And during the pandemic off of their, their online service, they recruited another 30 people to lead online groups that had never led a group before. And so there really is that potential. It's one other church, much larger church I'm working with in San Diego. They started 119, they called them book clubs, in the month of July. And uh, so it's really interesting to see what happens when you kind of 
let go of this a little bit, but you don't turn it into the wild west. You still, that would be irresponsible. So you still want to give them, you want to give them guidance. This is what you're studying. It makes them feel good if they don't have to be the teacher. It makes you feel good if they're not teaching. (laughs) Right, right. And um, and then they have someone to walk alongside them and help them and answer their questions. Um, I've seen far more good come out of that than negative. Yeah, that, that's good. And you brought up a couple of the churches that you've been working with. And one of the things that, that we've seen is that there are some churches are actually flourishing um, with online attendance, online giving, online you know growth and, and reach despite the pandemic. So, Alan, can you talk to us a little bit about um, what are you seeing in those churches that, that seems to be making a difference, that seems to be working? Well, I think part of it is how they design their online service. Um, because an online service is not the same as streaming your in-person service. And I compare it to this. It's like back in the day, you know, 40 years ago, when we were transitioning from traditional services to contemporary services, um, sometimes we would have a traditional service because we don't want to alienate the base. Then we would have a contemporary service to attract new people to the church. I think similar to that, We would have an in-person service where the focus is on the people that are gathered there in the auditorium. And then you have an online service that's designed specifically for people that are not in the large room that are on the the small screen. And because it's, if, if you're, if you're streaming video and you're not looking at the camera, then it becomes very passive to people that are watching online. But if you have people in the room and you're looking at the camera and ignoring them, they just think that, you know, you want to become the next great TV preacher. Um, so I think that there's, there's a balance with that. But then there's also a challenge that once people start following online, you know, how are churches discipling their online followers? And so, you know, just like you would do if they showed up in person, you know, what are the next steps? How are you collecting the information? How are you moving them through, um, you know, a, a class system or membership or growth track or how are you getting them into groups and, you know, all of those sorts of things I think are, um, are legitimate right now because they need next steps. In fact, the church I mentioned in North Dakota, when they reopened, um, you know, for, or regathered for worship, um, there were only three cases of coronavirus in their county, but only about 40% of their attendance was there in person. And what was interesting to them was the 40% that were present were not the core members of their church. The huh. 40% that showed up were people who had started watching online and came to church once they were regathering because they were looking for their next step. Wow. That's fascinating. Very, very cool. Um, Alan, kind of as we're, we're closing down this conversation, just, just a couple more things. One is, I'm sure there are, there are pastors listening in, um, they're excited about the opportunity for, you know, online groups. What advice would you give those pastors right now who maybe haven't yet launched online groups or maybe they've dipped their toe in? Um, what advice would you give to them um, as they're looking at really launching um, online groups right now? Yeah, I would say give it a try. I mean, a year ago, online groups were, were kind of a novelty. Um I started my first online group. This is this will really date me, Jason. Was in 1994 on CompuServe. Wow! And so I mean, it was a dial-up modem. I mean, this is 26 years ago, right? And um, it was a a message board, and it was a chat room. So the chat room was live. The message board was asynchronous, and um, we we met a variety of people from across the country. And the short of the story is, I have a friend of mine 
that came to Christ as a result of that group. Wow. And uh, we, we didn't intentionally start this online evangelistic ministry. We didn't intentionally start, you know, we're going to do this group, but we were sharing life together from various places in the country. And 26 years later, some of us are still very good friends. Uh, so I think that it's good to try something. And I don't, you know, don't put yourself through the paces of having to learn a new platform, learn something entirely new. But in the environments that you're currently using, the platforms that you're familiar with. And so whether it's a video-based platform, whether it's asynchronous, um, just ask if anybody's interested and just try something your, yourself. But then I think also for the people in the congregation, um, you know, we've seen some element where it's harder to get people to online groups than it is to get them to in-person groups. And you think it would be easier because all they have to do is flip yeah. on their computer. But um, what we found is there's too many unfamiliar things because it's a small group that they may not have done before. It's a small group of strangers and it's an online small group of strangers. So I think as much as you can make that familiar with um, a platform that they're familiar with and people that they're familiar with and begin to build it that way. And again, give them a study, give them supervision um, and just see how it goes because this is a time that is wide open for experimentation. And those experiments have produced some pretty amazing things in the church this year. Yeah, that's that, that's awesome. Good word there, brother. Alan, if our listeners want to learn more about starting online groups or small groups in general, where can they find um, resources? Where can they connect with, with you directly? Yeah, probably the easiest place is um, the site is onlinegroups.us. So onlinegroups.us, but it's us. So we're a group people. <laughs> so onlinegroups.us. I have a book called uh, Leading Online Small Groups. I have an online course. Um, and I have a number of, of recent posts that I've, I've written about online small groups that they may find helpful as well. Excellent. Alan, it's always a joy to have you with us. Thank you so much for sharing um, your your knowledge over, over the years that you've gained and how God is using small groups kind of in uh, this new season of life that we've been experiencing here in 2020. So I appreciate your wisdom and your encouragement, brother. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. God bless you, my friend. All right. You too. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out Faith Play. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.